sit back, relax, and enjoy the warm sounds of the Beer Engine podcast with Griff and Tony. What's up, everyone? Griff here, Beer Engine podcast. Yet another episode. Yet again, we have returned. Uh, you never thought we could do it, but here we are. Um, we've managed to release, you know, almost, uh, what is it, 17 whole episodes in the midst of a pandemic. So even though we're in our house, we haven't let being permanently homebound stop us from talking into uh, our computers. Uh, I'm joined, of course, by my uh, always co-host. Um, he's the campaign manager for presidential candidate Kanye West. Tony, how are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, look, who do I take inspiration from as a campaign director? Do I take it from Paul Manafort? Okay, he's in jail, but that hair is amazing. Or Brad Pascales, because you overpromise and yet you don't deliver anything. So there's a couple of choices there of how I take Kanye's um, presidential um, bid. I'm leaning more towards the Manafort thing because I think if he if he does catch me doing anything corrupt, Kanye will let me go because he's big into justice reform. So I, I think I'll be right there. Okay. Yeah, he does sound like he's big into something like that. Uh, I was thinking you were going to go with more of a um, – and boy, this will this will date the show specifically. It already did, but um, <laughs> I thought you'd take more of the Joshua Dial approach. Do you remember who that is? <laughs> I, I, I do remember Joshua Dial. I think I'd outperformed Joshua Dial already at this point, and I've got zero <laughs> <Yeah>. political experience. <laughs> uh, he's a big politics head, huh? You know, he did watch a guy shoot himself in the head, which he is sure pretty did. amazing. How can Joshua Dial? be the most well-adjusted person on that particular program. Um, this is the guy that um, yeah. is clearly unstable, clearly <laughs> has political knowledge that is uh, similar to somebody that works at Superstore, and I don't mean like a real Walmart. I mean like the fictional characters within oh, the TV the shop. store. Yes. Yeah. Um, He's, um, I think he has the political views of, uh, um, shit. What's his name? Chevy Chase from <laughs> um, Community. I think those are about the right <laughs> views for him. I would say any libertarian who you think is well adjusted, that's they're getting what they want out of you, is what that means, right? So they are doing exactly what is intended, where they're showing the persona of a well adjusted fiscal conservative or whatever. But on the inside, they are lunatics, right? They have they have put a suit on, but there is a inner uh, lunat total lunatic uh, hobbled together there. Could you um, supply me with one of these well-adjusted libertarians? Because I've never managed to uh, come across one of these well-adjusted libertarians. Uh, to me, the idea. I would just of- look at Gary. I think Gary Johnson is like is the is the is the one who, but now because that was a that was a normal looking guy running for president. Okay, right? yep. just okay. I get it. Here's this guy. This year, the Libertarians are running like a video game guy. Of course, so they went they are. from at least a relatively normal looking guy to some video game podcaster guy. 
real quick, we're going to do this. Who is this? Uh, I got to look this guy up. Candidate. Um, this guy is amazing. Uh, Spike Cohen, American activist, entrepreneur, and podcaster, is the Libertarian nominee for vice president. Uh, this guy, you got to look this guy up, gang. This guy is amazing. He is uh, he's a podcaster on Muddled Waters Media. He purports to have named himself Spike after the character from the 1986 My Little Pony, the movie. Hmm. He uh, is an ally of actually one of my favorite guys, Vermin Supreme. <laughs> he was an ally of performance artist and candidate Vermin Supreme. He ran on a platform promoting free ponies, mandatory toothbrushing, Zombie power, killing baby Hitler, which we know is a big passionate. Uh, I know that's a passionate uh, issue for for you, Tony. Killing baby Woodrow Wilson. I know you're anti that, though. I don't think you like that. And then promoting anarchy. Uh, Cohen promised that if these should not be achieved within the first 100 days of his vice presidency, pre ah, his vice presidency. I'm so excited to read this. He will resign, and who do you think he would have replace him? I want you to take one guess. Who who would who would Spike Cohen ask to replace him as Libertarian Vice President oh. if he can't achieve his goals of killing baby Woodrow Wilson? I feel like it's either Dave Rubin or it's Alex Jones. Like no, neither of those two I think purport to be Libertarians these days. I think Dave Rubin considers himself. A, um, he's a classical liberal. I think he calls himself these days, and God. I think um, Alex <laughs> Jones considers himself a Trump supporter. But I'm going to say this is this is looking like a Dave Rubin grift to me. Well, you made the you made a big mistake by guessing a human because he said <laughs> Baby Yoda. And that's true. He he said he will resign and be replaced with Baby Yoda. I know Baby Yoda is essentially just a meme while he's a fictional character, but wouldn't he be doing a better job than our current vice president? Baby Yoda? Yes, I think well, he would. He wouldn't be doing anything, which I suppose would be less harmful uh, than whatever's happening otherwise. <laughs> uh, that said, I'm not. I, I don't have any. I don't have any proof that that's true. I would say just about nothing is happening. Just with worse speeches, um, which is wonderful. So that, uh, so Tony, speaking of doing nothing, uh, I have mostly been doing nothing. Well, you, you've mostly been doing nothing. I've been doing absolutely nothing. At least you've got the most part in it. So obviously been, you've been doing something. What have you been up to since we last spoke? Well, well, last week, the, the rest of the week I did spend as uh, famously as a welfare queen. That is uh, what I was. That's what I like being. This week I have gotten off the uh, gravy train, unfortunately, and I have to work again. But today I had to go out, Tony. I had to go outside oh, no. and interact with the people. Now, Tony, you know that uh, the United States is not a safe place to go, place to go and interact with people. It's bad to do, in fact, right now. We have an insane amount of uh, coronavirus bouncing around Illinois being one of the supposedly, uh, and I'm air quoting so everyone can imagine this, good states. <laughs> uh, we're still, you know, orders of magnitude above most countries in Illinois. Um, but I had to go do uh, 
uh, some my imaging for a medical uh, issue, uh, which is I have uh, I have some prosthetic heart valves, so they have to look at these every year. And I did ask them, like, can I not do this? And they said, well, there is a reason we like looking at these every year. And a lot of people have been getting pretty sick because they're not doing their screenings now yep. because of coronavirus. I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I should do it then. Um, and it was fine. Uh, I feel relatively confident that I got out without serious illness, if only because the compliance on masks in the facility was 100%. Yep. I don't imagine uh, in a medical facility. Everyone was wearing a mask. Yeah, that they would be negotiable because I'm sure you've got no worries about the staff doing the right thing in, in wearing masks. But um, your great fear has always got to be the general public. I think that's the same everywhere in the world at the moment because it is that depending on where you are, 20% if you're in certain states of America or in the rest of the world, that that 5% that are completely unhinged um, and will not um, put your safety above their own and will not no. do the right yeah, thing. Absolutely not. They're they're the people that you've got to be truly concerned about. Now, I understand that you sort of discussed about the risks. How are you feeling, stress level wise, now that you've gone and done that, gone out into the wider world? Because I understand you're a higher risk case than than most people, mm-hmm. even than myself, because of your artificial valves, um, and that's that's got to be stress inducing. Um, even even the days leading up to it, um, now that you've gone through it all and have been out in the world and have ca- come back into your bunker, how are you feeling now? Uh, I, well, I think it was it was less. I was lucky in that I got essentially door to door service. So you know, Kelly dropped me off at the door of the hospital or of the pavilion where the imaging is. They have moved it out of the main hospital pavilion. The imaging isn't there anymore. You're now in an outpatient pavilion. That's good. Um, and also, there were no other people pretty much in the waiting areas except me because I went really early. So uh, it really was not too horrifying. The, the, the thing I was the most horrified by was just how many people were around outside outside, not a lot of risk. I had the mask on the whole time. I was dodging people like just <laughs> and not, not like dodging people walking by me. I mean, I was running away from people to stay 10 feet away from them. So uh, I was just avoiding folks. It was fine. I came out of it feeling like if something happens, it's a, it's an extraordinary stroke of bad luck, I would say, um, yep. in that I really didn't have an interaction with anybody more than two minutes of getting my IV put in to do the test. Um, and, and then I was in the big machine. So, you know, really not much there either. So, and not with anybody who wasn't masked up like me, which I was too. So I, I think it was relatively okay. If I can just have that for every interaction I have to have outside, that'd be great. Unfortunately, that will not be the case. So I will continue being in here. You have one funny story to tell Tony about this. Um, when you do tests like this, you have to fill out a bunch of forms and, you know, I'm doing an MRI, so it's big magnets. I don't know if you've ever done an MRI, Tony. I I am familiar Um, with an MRI. They are, um, they have big machines. They are machines that I'm not sure whether they function correctly, at least on the sounds that they omit. There's a lot of clunking and banging, like mechanical 1902 machinery kind of clunking going on at least in the MRIs that I've been involved in 
You, you, it, it feels like uh, you were probably in them around when I started having to get them, actually. So five years ago or so, it felt like the ones I was getting thrown into were a little older, and they were, sounded more like a, I don't want to say, it's not Steve Reich, but maybe like a John Cage piece or something <laughs> yes. going on there. Just like, you know, just banging around. Now they sound more like robots. Uh, it just goes like pew 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 pew. It's get, it's getting shot by the damn gloop bot. Let me tell you, uh, I'm getting fired at that by by that guy. Um, well, there he is. Get away. Back off, gloop bot. I don't need you right now. I, we already we already dealt with you today. But anyway, so because you get in this big thing of magnets, um, they check and make sure you don't have any metal in your body. So. Uh, you, you, you check all these no's that say, do you have this implant? Do you have this implant? Do you have these? And I do have metallic sutures that, uh, you know, fuse the, whatever they do. They, they, they're sew the valve onto your heart, you know? Um, but someone wrote, uh, under one of the, th- oh, I checked all the no's. It's just like writing. It's like doing the customs form, right? Where yep. you just know everything out. Um, and, and somebody had written like the brand of valve I had on there um just because that's relevant because that's what they want to be looking at you know or they have to do the right contrast to show it or something i don't know i don't get it but (laughs) so the lady comes up to me and she's like um all right so you don't have any of these implants oh uh do you have a penile implant i'm like (laughs) yes uh, absolutely uh, i do did you want to see it right (laughs) Uh, i'm like yeah right right like, no, I don't know. Did they, did, did I check the wrong box or something? And they're like, oh, it just says on X next to penile implant. I'm like, <laughs> no, I think that's the brand of valve I have, but I don't know. I mean, maybe on X is doing some <laughs> other stuff. I don't know what else they're making up, but, uh, yeah, I did get asked if I had a penile implant. Um, and boy, you don't, you want to talk about feeling bad when, um, <clears throat> I'm not at liberty to divulge the truth about that, but I don't have a metallic one at least. So. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a funny thing to happen is I get, I get demagnetized or something by my penile implant, titanium <laughs> dick. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, That'd be a good name for a beer, titanium dick. And you could have like a, <laughs> a metal version of Dick Tracy on the can. And it's have like a, um, like a Terminator, RoboCop type looking dildo or something. Yeah, because I don't want to be a part of your um, disgusting beer names, but I think Titanium Dick, you could sort of, that's almost punny enough and almost right on the border to be a great beer name. We'll play, we'll, we'll, we'll sneak that one in next time we take, play Two Brews and a Lie with Kelly. We'll sleep, slip in Titanium Dick in there. <laughs> um, all right, so Tony, there's, there's actually been some beer news today, Tony, um, or at least over the last day or two. Uh, a little bit of, of, of beer excitement uh, going on on Twitter. Uh, are you familiar with Trillium Brewing in Boston, Tony? I am. I believe they produce nothing but crystal clear pilsness. Yep, that's it. Uh, they've been, uh, but they've ventured out, Tony. They've started making things like hazy IPA. No. I know. Who would have thought, right? It's crazy. But... Um, I did have a little bit of, uh, they did have a little uh, uh, rub, we'll say, on Twitter for a new beer they released called Daily Serving. Now, would you like to know what Daily Serving is, Tony? Well, can I take a guess at what Daily Serving is? I'm going to say it is a hazy IPA. 
I'm going okay. to say because it's got daily in the name, it's going to be on the lower end. So I'm going to say it's going to be a six and a half, super hazy, New England style, fruited IPA. So Tony, it is actually a uh, fruited Berliner Weiss. Okay, um, I was wrong. Yep. So let's let me peep the one they dropped yesterday. I think it's this one called Tropical Punch, but I'm going to double check that. Uh, so they uh, they released this beer uh, daily serving. It is insanely fruited. So you were right in that it's very hazy and, and that it was a the the sort of bursting uh, with fruit. And I, I use the word bursting. Um, you know, truly uh, is that. Uh, it's super fruited, right? And actually, I think the one they released yesterday was twice the daily serving. So we're going to double check that. So this beer was was called uh, daily. It was just daily serving. It's okay. daily serving blackberry, plum, and raspberry. And it had uh, so it's three point eight percent. It's oh. Tony. Guess the rating real quick. I know we're not playing the game yet, but what's the rating of this beer on Untapped? I'm going to say. It's in the news. 750 seconds. I'm going to go with 4.3. Super hot beer. It's going to have good ratings straight out of the gate. Yeah, you nailed it. 4.34. There we go. This is good warm-up for you later. Um, So daily serving was born out of our desire to express intense, saturated fruit character in beer form. You could argue about that. But after thoughtful experimentation with permutation 6.3, Four seven and six point five one. We found that a base recipe similar to the German Berliner Weiss style, with its delicate yet fluffy mouthfeel and even keeled acidity, is the perfect foundation for robust fruit additions. This beer, Tony, I'm just going to describe it to you. It is opaque, deep red with a pink, a very light pink foam. Uh, people are describing it as thick and heavy, like V8 juice. Nice pucker, but plum is borderline syrupy sweet. So this is, I've had beers like this. It is, it is thick. It is Jamba Juice thick. I mean, this is big time thickness. So let's read the tweets from, let's read the tweets from Trillium. And you can, you can start to maybe manifest um, some ideas of what you think is going to happen here with all this fruit solid cans. So Trillium says, uh, keep cold, drink fresh. We're always making more. Following these two simple guidelines will result in the optimal drinking experience. Uh, It's our responsibility to provide you with the information necessary to preserve quality and freshness until the day you crack the beer open. So that's what, so first of all, I got a problem already, right? It's our responsibility to provide you with the information necessary to preserve quality and freshness. So this is sounding like a Ron DeSantos, um, Brian Kemp sort of warning about face masks. We're not going to order you to wear face masks, but it's on you to uh, this is refrigerate the, the beer. Spike, Spike, Spike Cohen's warning about beer freshness, we'll say. Uh, we have recently heard from three customers who have had cans of daily serving blackberry, plum, and raspberry burst. So if you like ex- exploding shrapnel cans, you know, maybe this is the beer for you. In all instances, the cans were stored in warm slash room temperature conditions. 
We don't want anyone to have to clean up a mess and advise that you store these cans in a refrigerator immediately. Refrigerated uh, batch samples that our QA team retains have not burst, and upon further testing, we've seen no yeast growth from the time of packaging. We take extreme caution to ensure yeast is not present in our cans, enhanced uh, with centrifuge, flash pasteurization, enhanced cleaning protocols, so on and so forth. However, it only takes one yeast cell and an enormous amount of real fruit and warm temperatures to potentially reactivate the cell and start growth. So, Tony, <laughs> what do you think? That is some double fucking speak. We, we take every <laughs> care to get the yeast out, but we cannot guarantee that the yeast is out. You, you can't have it both ways. Either you have a beer that is live and active and it's got that much sugar in it that it will ferment like that. And therefore, perhaps you don't put it in cans. Perhaps it's a brewery-only release. But um, to allow shipping of beers, well, I'm not sure whether they do, but I, I understand. Well, allowing shipping of beers is one thing, but these beers will be shipped. All right. Yep. The truth is that people are going to buy Trillium cans and people have Trillium mules and they will trade these beers. And I mean, so there's going to be some poor, you know, UPS guy with a dripping wet, sticky fucking cardboard box. That's so nasty. Who, what are you doing? <laughs> But how much yeast are they letting through in their their, their flash pasteurization, which should kill yeast straight out? Flash pasteurization should leave no alive right. yeast. Uh, how much how much sugar are they leaving in the cans that that this can actually cause exploding cans within a reasonable time of release? We're talking obviously a week or two of release um, where these cans are exploding because they've been left at at room temperature and how much pressure is building up we're not talking about gushes this is enough pressure to blow open an aluminium can or if you're in america an aluminium can that is a great amount of pressure these things are so poorly controlled obviously coming out of their brewery that um they really need to reevaluate what they're doing in in certain aspects of their business. I understand that they're heavily fruited and they want people to keep their beers in the fridge, which I believe they should, but we don't always get an opportunity to. So measures need to be taken where that stuff doesn't blow up within a week. And then they need to look at their quality control. This is this is a failure within the company and they're not taking responsibility for it and putting it back on the customer. This is their fault and and uh, I think they need to put their hand up and take responsibility and say, look, if you had an exploding cam, we do apologise. We will take steps in the future to stop this happening. It would be different if it was two, three months down the track where it was stormed, stored in a warm cupboard for that long. I could understand exploding cans at that point. But when you're talking in normal transit, that, that is unacceptable. Yeah, this is – I think this is a combination of we, – we've, we've – We've went to we've gone too far from God's light, I would say, with beer to a degree. Um, uh, I've had delicious tasting, heavily fruited tasting beers, you know, jammy type beers that do not have big fruit solids floating around in them. Are not at risk of exploding. 
Um, this is not, this is, this is a, this is taking beer and mixing in fruit. You're making a Rattler, right? Except you didn't, you're, you're just putting in pure sugar. Um, I, I think this is nuts. Uh, and I would, I would say that there's, there's a big, there's a combo of a couple problems in that these, these beers have become pretty ubiquitous. And, um, I, I think out of, out of, to what end, I don't know. The other thing is, I don't think beer from a shelf stability standpoint, I don't know if anyone cares anymore. And I think that's taking a beating, that's taking a beating for the, the life, the lifespan of a beer. It's hurt people like us because a beer you're if you get a two and a half week old ipa anymore you don't know what you're gonna get you know um but on the other hand it's also it's also gone so far in that the shelf stability of a beer isn't even guaranteed for a few hours (laughs) you can't even count on it to last a little while without blowing up and and then saying like well you should have kept it cold dude what the hell i think it's nuts uh, Trillium, frankly, uh, the last year has made a lot of boo-boos, including poor labor practices and otherwise. So I think Trillium is well on the way to being canceled if they haven't already been canceled. <laughs> and I don't think this is going to help them either. So, um, you know, I've, I've had Trillium beers. I like them. I enjoy like Congress Street and, and Melcher Street and some of their other stuff. And their, their sweet stouts are good, but I don't know if it's worth the, uh, the hassle or the risk or anything like that. So, uh, Hey Trillium, take that. Our podcast has put you on our shit list for the moment. So, you know, you're gonna have to earn your way off of this. Now going back a few years in the beer world, everything was based around hops rather than fruit. Is there still great excitement around experimental hop beers? Um, I say that because my local beer shop is getting in an Orbex 000 um, hop experimental <laughs> hop beer, um, and it's something that I'm looking forward to trying. It's a 4.1 percent juicy IPA, and I know America was all about when Idaho Seven was big. Um, Sabro sure. was in the developmental phases. They were buzzy, buzzy sort of products to be putting in your beer. But has fruit taken that mantle now? Well, I wish we had experimental fruits. Like we were getting, like they were putting a new, <laughs> and we put a new peach in your, in your beer. Oh, cool! Wow. <laughs> no, I, I think, uh, I, uh, I think the experimental hops are still around, but the problem is you can't really decipher them because they just get tossed in with the other hops. Because yep. I mean, there are single hop hazies, but I don't know. I don't feel like I'm getting a lot out of that. You know, really from a hundred percent galaxy hazy. Okay, so yes, you would get I, that. Yes, I, I, you would. But um, I do think, or mosaic for that matter, the same. But I do think there's. I think it's hard when it's like this beer is made with Sabro, Citra, and X two seven oh seven. Like, oh, wow, I'm getting a lot of X two seven oh seven and lactose. <laughs> you know, I don't know what. I don't know what that's up. I don't know who that's for. I mean, I don't, it's not that I don't like the beers. I'm sure it adds, honestly, with the good IPA makers, I'm sure that experimental hop adds a character that they wanted or something interesting. And maybe someone with a better palate than me could explain what that is. But I think there is, I don't think we're, we're seeing as many like ex- single hop 
single experimental hop IPAs like that that are very straightforward. Yeah. Uh, unless you're going to like the tap room and they're just putting it on tap, like, oh, we wanted to see what this new hop tasted like. So here's a five and a half percent pale ale that just has that in it. And you're like, oh, cool. I'll try that, you know, because I'm curious. Who knows? You know? Well, I think that oh, might damn, be it the... tastes like burning ash. You know, I don't know. This, this could be an extension of that because. Uh, at least in Melbourne, because they've gone back onto stage three restrictions. Uh, tasting rooms are not open. Oh, yeah. And this is um, uh, just bordering outside of Melbourne, but I'm, it's unlikely that they've got their tasting room open. So this might have been destined at one time for a, for a tasting room or, or brew pub only release, and, and that's why we might be getting it. So... You you could be right there, but I because especially when when some of these things even even when going back a long time when Galaxy was in its um, early days I won't say experimental days it, it was it was a big thing to have a single hopped Galaxy beer or a single hopped sure. Sabro beer or a single hop Mosaic beer especially Mosaic actually I can remember when that came back on onto the market and um, there, it was a very buzzy hop to feature from prominently and i just i i think that's a time that's come and gone within the within the beer world and i think for the better because i think you're right i think most hops even as much as i joked about galaxy i think galaxy is better when it's in a in a blend especially with mosaic or amarillo i think it it becomes more three-dimensional in its flavor profile when they are blended so i think the fact that we've gone away from what used to be called in the home brewing world a smash beer, single malt, single hot beer. Um, some of those are delicious. Don't get me wrong. I love a Pilsner. That is a single malt, single hot beer. But in IPA specifically, that that can be a bit one notish, especially when you get dominant dominant hops that that bring one thing to the flavour profile. You want more complexity. You want to keep coming back to the beer for more than a mouth for more than four ounces. You want to enjoy that 12 or 16 ounce can. And I think that's what, what hot blends really enable. And and then the, when you start getting into fruiting them and, and putting other adjuncts into them, that, that really extends out that life of that beer. Well, now, now, uh, now we're into experimental fruit. I think that's a good idea, Tony. I'm going to eat like a donut peach sour or something or eat, drink or eat. I think you are eating a lot of this. So <laughs> actually that sounds kind of good. Um, yeah, Tony, I think, I think ex- I would love to, to try more like straightforward beers like that. Uh, there was a little period where we started to have more sort of drier, simpler, uh, um, uh, these little juicy IPAs that were like five and a half percent that were bouncing around. Actually fist city by revolution is one of those. that's still sort of, hovering hovering around that I think is really tasty but the type of simplicity has faded away from the from the beer world in general we we we're just dumping three or four hops into every hazy splash a little lactose in there baby and you're good to go uh, uh not that I don't like hazy IPAs and of course I'm drinking <laughs> one right now because it's the show and I always am but uh I do think it's I I mean I I think there's there's a place in the world for both of those types of beers, I would say. Oh, I agree that there is a, a place and a time for, for those beers, but um, very few, like, uber cloudy, you can't put, see your hand through it, um, single hot beers. If they're single hot, they've normally got some other adjunct in them to, to, to juice them up 
to make them sort of flavorful. I am excited that my local bottle shop is actually getting in some Kvecht based beers. I don't know whether oh, you Oh no. Oh. oh no, let's not do this now. We're going to do the my my what is it? Kvek yeah, it's, it's quake, isn't it? You don't just say it quake, isn't that how you say it? Um, I I was I was told it was Quebec, but um, you could be correct. Look, the, this pronunciation we should leave it to Will Farrell um, and his Eurovision character if we're going to get somebody to pronounce it. We'll just go with how either of us say us. We we both know what we're talking about. It's a um, is it a Scandinavian yeast or a Danish yeast that can ferment at a wine range of temperatures to bring a bunch of different flavour profiles. Norwegian. To, yeah, it could be Norwegian. And it brings a bunch of different flavour profiles to to bear. Um, I'm yet to have one of these beers and the fact that my local my local supermarket is getting two of these in is really excited. Have you had um, these particular beers? I'm sure in your travels you have. And, and what was your impression of the beers that you've had with this yeast? Uh, Tony, I, I think I don't think they're universally bad. I don't have quite the visceral reaction that some people have. Some people do like them. They they ferment very quickly. Um, brewers brewers love it. Yes, they love it because it it will churn through IPA in a week. Um, you can end up with what you want. I think it leaves a hot house like a hot fruit aftertaste in IPA. PA, especially to me, a um, a sort of a we'll, we'll call it like a I don't want to say rotting isn't the right extremely overripe stone fruit flavor, okay. you know, yep. like a browning stone fruit, and that's I do not find that particularly appetizing, um, and in fact could approach even vomit like flavors to me. Um, some people like it. Some people don't quite get that. I've gotten that a few times. Now, sometimes I don't get it as much. And I think that's beers that are carting around less residual sugar. So farmhouse beers that use it's, I think it's Kvike actually. Yeah, you could be farmhouse correct. beers. That, farmhouse beers that use it hasn't been a problem for me. You know, yep. ferments dry yeast esters are present, not getting like that kind of chewy, I don't know, just like, it's got this like steaminess to it. Is that the only way I can describe it? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I do. Like I think that's a great warm descriptor. and sort of like dying, you know? Yep. Um, I, I just, uh, I don't get that if it's in like a, I don't know, uh, you ever drink a Sati Tony? Boy, that, but that's a that's a beer that often uses Kvike. It um, is, yeah. that Kvike type yeast. Well, that was the beer that it was designed for. Well, not that's... Like Saison yeast is designed to ferment yeah. Saison beers with, with those sort of uh, grist bills and whatever else. And and this is a yeast that's now being used out of style, which oh. I, I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other. But um, And I don't have any proof for this, Tony, but um, last year at the Mickler beer celebration, um, I tried – so Mickler made a Kolsch with Gaffel, the German Kolsch brewer yep. from Cologne. Um, I've had so that they had Gefell Kolsch fresh there oh. with the guy from Gefell, and it was delicious. Um, but then they also had the, the the version of it they made with Mickler, and I tasted it, and I said, 
hell no, I am not <laughs> drinking this because I, and I just, I could be wrong. I could be way off base. So, you know, fine. Feel free to write in beer engine show at gmail.com and tell me that I got the yeast wrong on this beer. I, I'm sure one of our listeners, but I swear this beer was a Kolsch made with Kvike yeast. Yeah. <sighs> I thought it was really disgusting. <laughs> I just had that, had I've almost had to, you know, cause, cause the ale yeast in Kolsch that has this very distinct flavor and there's a re, I don't know what I, you know, you know better than me, whatever they're using to, maybe it's just Kolsch yeast or it's, in, it's probably not English ale yeast. Maybe it is. Oh, going but back 300 years, it's probably the same strain, but um, through selective breeding, it is, it is its own ale. It's, strain. it's its own yeast, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can get different cold the, strains in, in, between the derm, the different German breweries as well, and they are all slightly different, but they're all very much related, and they they give you that 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 breadiness, but without pushing into ale territory, more like a a pilsner breadiness, but with the tiny bit of ale fruitiness kind of thing, which Quebec yeast from all the flavor descriptions I know bring none of that breadiness and three, four, eight times the magnitude in fruit. Yeah. Yeah. It was not good. So I would, <laughs> some people like it. I, I, you couldn't get me to drink that again in a million years, but there, uh, that was, that was rough for me. And I think that one, now one of my problems with that yeast is I maybe never would notice it until I drank that beer, which was a pure distillation of the yeast. And yep. now I feel like I detect it very quickly. You know what I mean? Um, it's probably a fine yeast, and I don't think you'll have as, quite as distinct of a um, opinion about it as I did. But I think you'll. Uh, I, 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 I'm curious to hear what you what you think about it. Is it what are they bringing in? Is did you say it was an IPA that they are that too- has? Two distinct IPAs. One is saying apricot, so I'm guessing it's fermented at a much higher temperature in your sort of 38 to 40 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. I think that's around 105, somewhere in that range, or a more traditional. Uh, And there's another one that doesn't say apricot, just says it's using this particular yeast. And I'm guessing that's a version they ferment at more traditional ale temperatures, uh, maybe a touch higher around the, the... the 70 to 74 degree Fahrenheit range, I, I would guess. This is without doing research into the beer, but I think if you want a clean flavour profile out of that yeast, I think you can get it doing lower temperatures. And I think the word IPA, I don't know what that means these days as a marketing term. I, I'm hoping that it's kind of a farmhouse IPA, if that makes sense, bringing a little bit of funk and they match the hops to, to support that funk with both beers and... If they do that, I think they can be delicious beers. But if they're they're doing just a straight up fruit bomb IPA hop load with Quebec yeast, I think it it could be a step too far. But it'll be interesting to see when it shows up what it'll be like. Yeah, I, I would love to hear you uh, give me a little rundown of that on whatever show that comes in that you can you can you can give me for that. So speaking yeah, of rundowns, finally, you can on beer though. Um, I. Nick Talk, um, as we know, the other week gave me a, um, a set of four beers in, in beer mail. Um, I've since consumed those four beers. They were yeah. all delicious. Um, I did consume the hazy 
IPA straight away. I wasn't letting that sit around. Their pale ale was a nice Australian standard pale ale. Um, the, um, the first sour beer that I had um, was kind of... Are you familiar with Ribena? Uh, I am not, no. Okay, Ribena is a black blackcurrant um, syrup that you would then make into what we would call a cordial, kind of like a Kool-Aid. And it is very, very sweet, very, very black currantish, and and this sour had very strong notes of that. Quite delicious, but quite straightforward. But the little brew, I think it was a chocolate coconut cherry stout, but it wasn't just a straight ahead stout. Stout. It was a sour stout. Was absolutely phenomenal. It was nine and a half percent alcohol, and it drank like a three percent beer. It was fully fermented but left enough body behind to be drinkable and not dry out your mouth. It it wasn't a flaw. This was a deliberate kettle sour, I think. Um, They left enough body to support that chocolate and coconut and the the cherry really came through. Really a delicious beer. I think I scored it a 4.75, may may have okay. even been a 5. It was really, really good. So I'd, I, I want to give a shout out to Little Brew. They're a, they're a tiny little um, brewing company. They're in an industrial estate, I think, in Ferntree Gully, which is a very, very yeah. distant they suburb. All, that's how they all are here. It's a very, very distant suburb in Melbourne. So we're talking right on the edge of, of Melbourne. Um, and that... That is a, a great beer. So thank you to Nick for donating those beers. Very, very enjoyable. Yeah, boy, and your thank you on Instagram was really admirable too, Tony. Thank you. I don't know. So, hey, thanks to some dude who threw some beers at me. Couldn't even give him a couldn't even give him a shout out, could you? <laughs> well, I didn't know whether Nick um, wanted to be mentioned on Instagram. That's the thing because I've, I've spoken uh, to Nick okay. uh, in the past and, and when he's available to talk on this show, he will come and talk to us on this show because he's been involved in the beer industry not only here in Australia but he's also an English expat so he's familiar with the British beer scene and he's taken me around Melbourne and, and shown me some some great standard pubs, not not sort of beer central pubs that have great English beer on tap with on a beer engine of all things. And um, we've been to been to some craft breweries in Melbourne and and he, he he knows what's going on in Melbourne, but he also has ties back to England and the sort of more traditional beer scene. Nice. So he'd he'd be cool to have on. But um circumstances aren't allowing him to come on at this moment. That's why I didn't tag him. Um, but in the future, I certainly will tag him and I can always adjust that post if he wants a shout out on Instagram. All right. Well, thanks to Nick for sending Tony some beers. Jeez. Must be nice, huh? I'm just stuck here getting get paying people to ship me beer so I can feel special, um, which is still happening, by the way. I bought some more beer just today, of course. So, um I'm sure I'll report back on whatever burial beers get dropped into my house uh, in the next week or two, and I'll, I'll make sure I shout them out. You know, they deserve it. Not just in the mix with the Trump tweets either. Um, <laughs> Tony, so we have a, we do have a segment to do today. We People have been clamoring at me. They're emailing me. They're 
posting on Discord. They're posting on Instagram. They're saying, Griff, when are you going to tell us the rest of your six-pack? Griff, tell me. I need to know what beer to buy. I'm dying. I'm dying. Um, and I'm saying, <laughs> good. Take that. And I'm stamping him out and punching him. Uh, but I'll still do it anyways. I'll tell you what beers we like. So we're going to continue our ultimate six-pack uh, segment. Um, and uh, Tony, I think we should continue our little uh, back-and-forth gag we had where I can guess the untapped ratings of the beers you uh, have chosen. I will do the same, and we will uh, use this as our lead-in to the moment everybody's waiting for, the end of the show. So, <laughs> Tony, why don't you why don't you tell me uh, your first beer for today? I will say it's your third beer that from is your correct. ultimate six-pack. Actually, why don't you remind us of your first two real quick, and then and then give us the third. Okay. The first beer was La Serene, and I it was their Saison, which is sort of a more funky version of a Saison, not a true sour, but it's got more going on than, say, DuPont or mm-hmm. or um, Bridge Road in Australia have a Saison, which is very much a, a DuPont-style Saison. This is more Tank 7-ish kind of thing, not quite as hoppy as Tank 7, but, but a little bit more funk going on. And the other one was Kaiju Crush, which is... Um, an Australian hazy uh, pale, not really an IPA, but like super cloudy, super fruity, but completely crushable, really, really crushable, drinkable beer. So they were my first two beers in my six pack. So for my third beer, I decided to go with another beer that that's reasonably common, um, certainly not available everywhere, but you can find it at any reasonably stocked bottle shop. And that is Bolter XPA. Now, are you familiar with the XPA style or is this uniquely Australian? Is this an export pale ale or is this... This is um, an extra. Extra pale ale. So we have extra pale ale, but I don't know if it's the same. Um, It's sort of a very dry but juicy... IPA, I would say, like a very, like a pretty clear uh, pale ale, I guess, clear pale ale, but that's pretty correct. hoppy, pretty, pretty, even sweet to a degree. Not sweet, cloying, uh, but like fruity sweet. Yeah, fruity sweet. This in Australia, it tends to sit directly between pale ale and IPA. And it's the so, same here, I think. Yeah. And it's a style that, because they tend to be lower alcohol, they tend to be more in the pale ale kind of range, around the 45 to 5.5% alcohol range. They are more sessionable and therefore um, they tend to be a lot drier than an IPA, more in your pale ale. Not, not bone dry. This is not some sort of bone dry um, beer that's been been hopped to Jesus. This is about drinkability, but drinkability with maximum flavour. This is about being able to have three or four on a Saturday afternoon. This is not about that having sounds delicious. Yeah, this is not about having one one can and then moving on. This is this is if you want to grab a four pack or a six pack, go ahead and and drink it. It's delicious. It's and it's 
an Australian style that we have a lot of XPAs. Hawkers do an XPA. A um, number of other brands do an XPA. More hoppy than a pale ale, but certainly not pushing up, especially with alcohol content-wise, into the IPA range. Even old-school IPAs doesn't ever push up into the 6% range. But this, to me, is a standout example and available at a lot of places. So that's why I chose it for your six-pack. Is it, did you say Balter? Yeah. B-A-L-T-E-R? Yes. All right. I'm going to guess the rating on this. I'm going to say, I'm going right out the gate, dry XPA. I'm saying 3.4. I think you could be in the market there knowing how Australia scores. Oh, I'm is. not anywhere close. 3.81. Wow. This beer must be delicious. Australians are tough on beer. This one must rock. I want this. All right. This does rock. 3.81 on Walter XPA, 5%. Yeah, as I said, but crushable all day, all day, every day. Delightful looking can too, by the way. And all their cans take that sort of, um, that same sort of family styling. They all have a solid color block at the, at the bottom with that, that square. If you've seen a bolter can, you've seen every bolter can. They're all just slightly different colors. Um, with different names, but really classy styling. And owned, or founded at least, by uh, world surfing champ, Mick Fanning. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, are you watching a lot of surfing, Tony? Absolutely not. But uh, Mick Fanning okay. is an Australian treasure who survived a shark attack at Jayberg. Um, so, yeah, Mick's an absolute legend. Cool. Shout out to Mick. Nice. He's, that beer looked good. I want that. Um, cool. So I was way off the way off base on that. Good. But uh, I do want that beer. So, Tony, um, my first two beers, two absolute Chicago classics, Zombie Dust, the legend. Everybody knows what Zombie Dust is. Pale Ale. I'd say it's not far off from it. Well, it's not quite an extra pale ale. It's got kind of a different malt comp context than that i think and then um fader fader the uh, absolutely delicious lager from half acre that did inspire uh, my friend and listener tyler to hit up his local store and said boy that bit is kind of silly but it did make me want to drink beer and i say thanks uh, you're welcome half acre i hope you like the free sales i'm lending out to you guys and you're paying me for this um, in fact, I'm paying you because I'm drinking half acre beer all damn time. Uh, my third beer, Tony, you're going to love this. It's Tank 7. Yes. Uh, another world renowned beer that is just a time classic Belgian style farmhouse ale, hoppy farmhouse ale, 8.5%. I've checked in 17 of these beers, Tony. And it is delicious every single time. It drinks so easy for eight and a half percent. I could drink it any time of day. I love it. It's dry as a bone, hoppy, light, fresh, refreshing sweetness. Um, big grapefruit flavor up front. Finishes with all those esters and and very dry on the finish. Black pepper almost. You get yes, you do. Um, it serves as sort of the sort of the, sort of the base of. Um, or at least it serves as some part of the base for my all-time favorite beer, Saison Brett from Boulevard, which I couldn't love more. Um, I couldn't, I, I had to pick something farmy and I couldn't think of anything better. They put this in cans 
like tall boy cans now too, Tony. Oh, wow. That kicks ass. That'd be amazing. And you, maybe you were tailoring this for me because you know I'm a farmhouse ale kind of guy, but that that is a beer that I have had. And if I was allowed to put beers in from America, that is probably going in my my um, six pack. That is an amazing beer. That is a beer I love. Now, how is that scored on Untapped? Ooh. Now, American score beer is better than Australia, but I still think there's people that would misunderstand this being that it's 8.5% alcohol and they're expecting some sort of like transcendent flavour experience because it's 8.5%, not some like perfectly fluffy, complex but subtle at the same time drinking experience. I'm going to say this scores on untapped 3.85. You did better than me, Tony. It's a 3.78, only seven hundredths off. That's pretty good. That um, is. 3.78. Uh, I would say that's way low. low. Uh, yep. What it is. Um, but it does, it does have a, it does have 471,000 check-ins. So it's a very, this is, this is like the original smokestack series beer from Boulevard. Uh, um, and Smokestack series, they don't really have that anymore. You know, they had started to shift uh, way too much background into the Boulevard universe, but they had started to shift from just their, they had their pale ale and their unfiltered wheat, and they make a lot of those beers still, and they make a lot of money off. But they had used that to sort of springboard this more, um, ex- not experimental, but we'll say that Belgian-inspired, we'll say, um, set of beers and they had their brewer is a guy named Stephen Powell's who's still there that they brought in from Belgium and they made these awesome smokestack beers and tank seven was the first one. And that, that inspired a line of reserves like bourbon barrel quad and Saison Brett. And, uh, this was sort of the, the jumping off point for that. And, uh, I am thankful for that because this beer is wonderful and it probably ended up being the thing that got them pur- purchased by, um, Duval. Who owns Boulevard now? So, which is frankly good, honestly, because they could have easily gotten purchased by a bad company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, AB InBev. <laughs> Duval's a Duval's perfect for them. I mean, they, they yep. it just makes it's a good arrangement. So that's mine, Tony. Give me your fourth. Okay. What's your fourth beer in the six pack? Don't know whether this is against the rules, but I'm going with a limited release. And mm, okay. kind of like Tank 7 was designed, I think, specifically for me. This is a beer that I picked specifically for you. Um, and you may sort of know, we may have discussed the untapped score. Maybe it's changed since, but um, we have discussed this beer previously on the show. And that is Deeds. And it's their Conductor Special Reserve Porter. Uh, this is a smoked porter coming in at around 10%. Um, it is, I think, Austra- at least the finest Australian dark beer I've had in the imperial style. Uh, it's smoked, which is you and I are both fans of. It would have been too heavily smoked, I think, for Cali. But it's dark, it's smoky, it's delicious, it's perfectly balanced. It's a big beer, but it's not like drinking motor oil. This is designed for Australian conditions and a really, really um, perfect imperial porter. Not a stout, not that thick. It is a 
in my book a true porter and I'm a big, big fan of this beer. And it's still available at Boy. my local um, bottle shop, so I'm going to go down and pick up another can. This is a tough one to try to guess the rating on, I got to say, because smoked beers do not rate well historically. But you're in Australia. You guys love cooking on fire, and you love smoke. We sure do. Um, and you probably have different, yeah, you guys are sn- your snags, your lamb, you got all this stuff. And we've um, we've got all the woods that you do. Uh, the, we've not really mesquite, but we've got your apple woods that we use, your cherry woods, um, your oaks. But we've also got Australian natives that we use. We use a lot of red gum or yellow box um, to cook our meats over. And especially when you p- pair those with more gaming meats, say lamb, are really, really mm. delicious. It sounds good. Yeah, I want to go to Australia and eat some ham and some snags and all that stuff it sounds good all right i'm going to say this beer is a three point uh i'm going to say a 3.85 just like you just said (laughs) oh it's a 4.18 what you guys like smoke way more than we do (laughs) what what if this beer were in the u.s it would be like a 3.6 um (laughs) chocolate and smoked malt layered with coffee lactose and vanilla oh there's there's your answer coffee <laughs> lactose and vanilla that'll do it this beer looks delicious it is delicious um yep this beer looks very good they, they, these guys have great kind of design aesthetic too also. they do um i want this yep uh how i, I mean the smoke seems relatively limited but i, I see what you're saying um it, it it could have like this very distinct um smoke flavor boy i would i would be so curious to taste this beer in a barrel after after a barrel age uh, Ooh, that'd be a barrel nice. aging um that would be something huh? yeah it's not super smoky this is no rash beer this is no ham sandwich it's it's lightly smoked but we know how sensitive your lovely wife is to smoke and that's why she would not be a fan of it but for you and i it's a very mild smoke and it's beautifully balanced in my view yeah, my favorite is giving is is having her drink like a a relatively dry porter after she just had an IPA and then she just looks at me, Smokey. I'm like, no, it's not. not. Just drink another sip of it; and it'll go away. What is your fourth beer, good sir? All right, my fourth beer is one that has probably not gotten the the heat in Chicago that I think should um but it is good and i did want to get a hazy on here because i like hazies um and actually right now well, america is the home of the hazy so i think it's only fitting i'm already getting mad about this because i'm looking at the pictures of the beer and people are checking in the double dry hop version of this and it's <laughs> not that to this beer and that's not fair but my uh my fourth beer is a beer called silt and it is from Riverland, Riverlands Brewing Company in the uh, sleepy little burg of St. Charles, Illinois. In it, certainly in an industrial park, but most breweries here <laughs> are in an industrial park, let's be honest. Um, most of everything here is in an industrial park, I think, now. But uh, this beer is very good. It's a Citra and Galaxy IPA, double IPA. Uh, I was actually, earlier in the show, I was drinking the double dry hop version of this which is 
really grassy um, at this point, but I, it was good as I got into it. I actually kind of kind of evened out a little bit as I got through it. Um, but this beer is really delicious. The original version finishes very dry, a little bitterness, um, not loaded up with lactose. This beer drinks a lot easier than a lot of the other hazy in the Chicago area. I've really liked Riverlands. Um, admittedly, I've had nothing but unpleasant, not unpleasant, but their tap room is not unpleasant. It's just that it's, it takes forever to drink at their tap room <laughs> every time <laughs> I've been there. Um, you'll just sit there and the bartender will just looks at you for like five, five minutes. And then it's like, Oh, were you, did you want something I'm like, well, I showed up. I don't know what, what, um, so you'll just chill. But the beers are good. The people are nice enough. It's fine. And they're, and Silt is good. And they make a bunch of good hazies too. So um, Riverlands, uh, you are on the, uh, you're on the list. This is good stuff. Um, <laughs> okay. So up to Silt. This is a hot beer style. And you're saying it's one of the best versions of that. And so I think people know in America what this beer style is bringing to the table. Uh, I think people that are seeking this beer out will know exactly what it is. And it sounds like their their quality is really good. And this is a beer that I, I would definitely love to try, but I would love to try it at the brewery or source it locally. It's definitely not a beer that you could obviously um, get to me in Australia in decent shape before it explodes. Mm, yeah, probably <laughs> not. Well, I don't think it'll explode. No, no. I don't think it, I think it's drier than that. Um, but, but you're talking two know, weeks Tony, minimum. Yeah, if I got it the week after canning and shipped it, I think it'd be okay. This beer, this beer won't. This beer has better shelf stability just because it's the double dry hopped one. I wouldn't ship. Yeah, but, but the uh, original one, I I think it could. I think it's um fermented out enough that it would last three weeks. Yep, I'm going to say that this scores a four point one three on untapped. Four point one eight. Actually, oh, on, on right in the ballpark. Which I would say is low for the best IPAs in uh, in Chicago, because most of the hot butcher IPAs that are that are in the top upper echelon are four point two five, four point three. Um, this I, I like drinking this better. It's more. It's more. It's just more drinkable. You know, it goes yeah. down easier. Um, and uh, for eight percent, I mean, it's kind of dangerous, but. It's it's a very enjoyable beer. The double dry hop, like I said, has a little bit of grass heat to it. You know what I mean? Like just the the, the hop solids are still sort of poking around in there a little bit. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I think it'll I think it'll even out a little after after maybe a, a few days in the fridge. And actually, honestly, after a, a, a 20, 30 minutes in the cup, it it started to improve a little bit. Yep. Or my palate just got worn out of eating chewing grass i think probably part of it um but this is a great beer um i hope i can send this one home with you and one of the nice things about this tony is that they make this beer kind of year round which is very rare actually for hazy ipa makers in chicago uh for example hop butcher is just making a different one every week so there's (laughs) not really anything you can count on being around you can be relatively certain you can find silt most of the time you know (laughs) Um, so I think, I think that sort of one advantage it has, uh, over other hazy options. 
There you go. So the last two we're going to do next week, right, Tony? We're going to we're going to bang out these last uh, two of our six packs next week. Absolutely, we'll we'll save them for next week, and um, and you'll see a little bit of variety crop into my six pack then. I do not know what you're going to see from mine. Um, laughter, tears, uh, horror—you know, anything <laughs> could could come up out of out of my last two options. Um, hopefully not tears, but we'll see. Maybe if I start crying during it, it means something. All right, Tony. Well, boy, this was a deep beer talk episode. I hope everyone's happy with their kvike yeast talk and their exploding fruit cans and their, you know, whatever else I won't remember, but by the time I do the show notes, um, but Hey, a uh, joy as usual. Um, you can, uh, check us out, check out the beers I'm drinking and maybe a few of them. Tony's drinking on Instagram. Our Instagram is, uh, at beer engine pod. You can email us if you like, uh, if you have something to say or something to complain about, or just, want to say something or need a friend or you've been crying a lot um, or you're thirsty or you want to send me something uh, just <laughs> you can send us something in an email it's beer engine show at gmail.com you can find me on Instagram well don't find me on Instagram you probably could if you tried for one second you could find <laughs> me on Instagram but you could also find me on untapped uh, I'm at I'm Griff AD Tony is St. Maz see what we're drinking Laugh at it. Tell me I overrate the beers. You're right. I do. That's true. Me too. I overrate uh-huh. the beers. If you look at my scores, they're weighted towards five. But then again, you're right. No, we don't tend to put up the terrible beers. What's the point? No, yeah, I'm not I'm not buying a lot of shitty beer these days. Um, and you can see, and hey, go to that Instagram account. You can see it because I'm out there spraying it down with bleach. So <laughs> pretty cool. Uh, Tony, you have any parting words for our lovely podcast house guests look tidy up after yourselves i know this is a virtual house guest situation but there's nothing worse than a house guest that doesn't just do the basics i'm not saying that you have to wash the sheets but at least make the bed tidy when you leave yeah and wear the mask around me come on i was just dealing with stuff all day you don't want to do you really want to get me sick or whatever come on don't do it All right, later on, everybody. See ya.